Good morning and welcome. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor here at Malvern Hill Baptist Church. I continue to be the pastor here whether we're indoors or outdoors. So I am glad that you're here with us today. Uh, If you are watching from home today or from your vehicle or from vacation, the the live stream is going to be a little bit awkward probably. The audio is a little bit wonky. We apologize for that this morning um, after having used it multiple times this week. The soundboard inside the sanctuary decided it would not boot up. And what that means is that we're having to uh, sort of um, limp along with our live stream, which will be okay. The other thing that it means for all of you who are listening is uh, I feel like I'm really loud. Did we change the speaker or something up here? That's better. Whatever you did, Kevin, that was much better. Uh, The uh, the other thing that that means, though, uh, is that we have a week to try and get our soundboard fixed in a time when lots of things are not getting fixed in a timely fashion. Uh, If that soundboard is not fixed, our plan next Sunday is to be worshiping indoors. Um, And and that that would be taking place in the sanctuary and in our gymnasium. You'd be getting an email and some communication this week about exactly how it is that we'd split that up. If we can't get that soundboard repaired, we will be outdoors next Sunday. There's just no way that we can actually accomplish the things inside that we need to do without that board. So um, you will be getting communication about that. It is our goal to move indoors next Sunday and to do so with with social distancing. We recognize that the numbers in our state continue to go up. Uh, We are are not blind to that reality. Uh, We do believe that we can get you inside and keep you somewhat close to safe. Um, We know that uh, outdoors has been good for us, but we also know that uh, like today is warm and it's just going to continue to get worse and worse. And so we are going to make an effort. Uh, Just know our goal is to be indoors, uh, but our, our ultimate goal is to not cancel worship again. So if we were to see something that would shift or something in our church body, it would deem it uh, perhaps unwise to be indoors. We would be right back out here on the lawn. Um, so our goal will be that no matter uh, what happens, we will do everything in our power to make sure that we do not cancel services or cancel in-person opportunities for services. Um, next Sunday, assuming that we are indoors, just know we are going to, uh, you, you will not be required to wear a mask. I'll tell you, I think it's a good idea to wear a mask. Uh, there will be masks available. We have pews that are roped off, and there will be chairs removed from the sanctuary so that we can create as much distance in there as possible. We'll put a, uh, about 120 chairs in the gymnasium area so that we can basically come somewhere close to evenly distributing um, uh, whoever shows up on that Sunday and give as much space as possible between everybody in those two places. So just uh, be aware that those are our goals. Uh, but as so much as has been the case with so much during uh, this COVID-19 experience, those are our plans, but they are subject to change at a moment's notice. So uh, I am really grateful that you guys have been so flexible. Uh, before I jump into my sermon, and, and I, I, I want to uh, acknowledge that there's been a group of folks, mostly men, not exclusively, mostly men who have been getting here early on Sunday mornings to get all this stuff set up. And, uh, and y'all, we could not do this without those guys uh, that show up and move speakers and, and cables and set up sound. Our, our praise team's been getting here early to get all their I- 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 instruments 
uh, set up, and, uh, they, they, and, and everything happens. Everything gets moved every day, every Sunday. And so just uh, if you have a chance to speak to some of those folks, I think Victor Egbon has beat me here um, uh, a, a few Sundays during all this. He, uh, every, uh, before I can get out of my truck, I see him toting speakers. So uh, he's just one of those guys. And, and uh, Buster, uh, Brian's always bringing the, ta- uh, the trailer, whatever this is, Adam, so many others. So, uh, and, and those folks that are running cameras and everything else. So just uh, thank them for that and just know that uh, flexibility is going to be uh, the word of the day uh, for the next few months as we continue to sort of navigate these waters. Uh, there's the potential that we would meet indoors on one Sunday and you'd get an email somewhere around about Wednesday or Thursday that says, we love you and we're going to be outdoors. And, uh, and that would be because as best as we can understand it and, and from what we've been told, that would just be the, the, the safest or, or most advisable thing for us to do. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. It is Father's Day. And for those of you who have been with us for a while, I, I used to really use Father's Day as an opportunity to go after our dads and remind them of their incredible responsibilities. Um, and it, it did get so bad at one point in time that some of our ladies got excited about the Father's Day sermon because they knew that dads were going to really get it. So we tried to back off some of that. I tried to give it to you guys throughout the year and maybe not all, all of it on Father's Day. Uh, but I do believe uh, that a lot of what we're going to see here in Hebrews chapter 4 does give a pretty, pretty explicit reminder to all of us and especially to dads. Uh, Dads, I'm grateful for the way that you love and lead in your homes, Uh, but here in the book of Hebrews what we're going to see is that if we're not careful, we can develop an attitude and encourage the development of an attitude in our home of of pride and of um, uh, immovability that makes it uh, very difficult for not only us to submit to God's word, but makes it very difficult for our children to submit to the word of God because we've built up in them an understanding of pride and of, and of arrogance and an unwillingness to submit to authority that makes it a challenge for them to even submit to God's word. So fathers, I'm grateful for the investment that you make in your homes, but this morning before we jump in, I want to remind all of you that your primary responsibility as a dad is to love your wife well, to love your children well, and to lead them to know the Lord. And to do so, you've got to make sure that you give them an understanding, a respect for authority, uh, and, a, and a willingness to submit to authority. Because if they learn from you that they don't have to respect or submit to anybody, make no mistake, it will be a challenge for them to ever respect and submit to the Word of God and to the King of all kings. So fathers, let me urge you, lead your children to know Jesus. Uh, lead them to submit to Jesus, but lead them also to submit to earthly authority, because in so doing, they learn to submit to heavenly authority. All right? Hopefully by now you've made it to Hebrews chapter 4. Um, things are going to get a little crazy up here for me. Uh, we had a, a colossal uh, impact with my iPad versus uh, concrete sidewalk this week. And so if papers start flying off of here today, just forgive me. I'm trying to do things a little different. Y'all stand with me in honor of God's word. And let me read to you, beginning in Hebrews chapter 4, or in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. For if Joshua had not given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you'd give us hearts that are pliable and submissive to your word and to you. That, Father God, as fathers, that we would lead in our homes first and foremost by submitting to our heavenly Father, by surrendering to the power of his word. Lord God, that you would cause us as fathers to lead our homes, to lead our wives and our children from our knees. Lord God, that they may follow us in example. Father, I pray that you give us strength today from your word. Lord God, I pray that you give us hearts to understand and behold all that you would have for us. And Father, I pray that for me, that you would speak to me through your word. I know it's hot out here today, Lord God. I pray that we'd be able to focus on what it is that you have to say to us and allow the, the, the heat to not become a great distraction. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Will you submit to God's word? You know, we are Americans, and as such, we don't have a lot of room for the word submit. Uh, and to prove that, uh, I, I thought this week about the metric system. Just take the metric system, for example. The metric system makes sense, if we can just be honest. If I'm trying to teach my first grader about rules, uh, not, not following rules, but about measurements, I should say, it is much easier for me to teach him something that's a factor of 10. And so, you know, you got 10 millimeters in a centimeter and 10 centimeters in a, in a, uh, um, in a whatever, and then 100 centimeters in a meter. Y'all get the point. I give up. I can't even teach the metric system. So it's easy, but we as Americans, we have zero use for the metric system. It turns out in the late 1700s, when the metric system was beginning to to, to really take over as, as the, the, the worldwide standard of measure, the United States was wrestling as a very early young country with exactly how they would standardize their measurements. Thomas Jefferson, one of our leaders, was given the, 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 the responsibility to help def, devise this, this standard of measure, and Jefferson rejected the metric system on the basis that it was just too French. You got to like that guy. I mean, that's who we are. We don't want it. And look, so what do we do? We still have standard measurements. And that's who we're going to be. It's been reported through the years that metric was going to take over. But every time somebody came in and tried to force that in the United States, we as the United States says, you can take my Stanley Fat Max ruler from my cold, dead hands. Isn't that right? We are not going to submit to the rule and the authority of those who want to change us. We are a proud confident people. But folks, it is that proud, confident attitude. It's that attitude of freedom and independence that can make it so difficult for Americans to live as followers of Jesus Christ. God has given us his word, and through his word we know him, and we know what he requires and expects of us. There really is no compromise here, and as Americans, this flies in the face of our independent spirit. But beware, those who refuse to submit to the word of God will not inherit eternal life. Here on Father's Day, dads, keep in mind what you teach your kids today will affect their decisions later. Will your kids be inclined to submit to the scriptures because you have taught them to do so? Or will they balk at the Bible because you've taught them to reject authority and to never bow down? The word of God is a two-edged sword. The one edge is a scalpel that brings life. The other, an instrument of death that brings 
destruction. It's not just in the word of God that we see this. We see in some ways that Moses' staff became a type for this as Moses' staff brought life. It protected life. But Moses' staff also brought death and destruction all at the same time. God's word does the same thing. Life to those who would submit and destruction to those who would refuse. Three things this morning I'd like for us to see from this passage of Scripture. The first thing this morning we see is that the Word of God pierces the soul. The Word of God pierces the soul. The Word of God slays us. It hits us where it hurts. Haven't you had the experience of sitting under a sermon and feeling like the preacher was speaking right to you? You been there before? I have. Maybe you've read the Bible and God spoke to you clearly through it. One of history's most famous conversions came about this way. Augustine of Hippo was spending time in Milan, and while there, he was outdoors one day, and he heard the voice of a child singing. The song that he heard said this, pick it up and read, pick it up and read it. Hearing these words, Augustine ran back indoors and found a Bible and opened it to the first passage that he could, could find. And right there, as the Bible fell open, he read Romans 13, 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And in that moment, Augustine was cut to the heart because what it happened through that word of God is that that very verse spoke specifically and directly into Augustine's way of life. And in that moment, Augustine was converted. If you'd like to read about that, you can read that in Augustine's Confessions. And in that book, Augustine reminds us that our hearts are restless until they find rest in God, rest in Him. This passage of Scripture that pierced Augustine's soul reminds me of the same thing that happens in many of our lives. And it's not only in our lives or in Augustine's life, In Acts 2.37, after Peter preached his sermon at Pentecost, the Bible says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Folks, the word of God preached appropriately. The word of God listened to by the people of God and even by those who do not yet belong to the Lord. It slays people. It pierces us to the heart. The Word of God hits us where it hurts because God alone knows our soft spots. He knows those weaknesses, those chinks in the armor where we need to be pierced. He knows our pride that needs to be broken down and destroyed. The Word of God pierces us. It slays us. It pierces the soul. The second thing this morning we see is that the Word of God discerns intentions. The Word of God does what man can never do. When Samuel was sent to Jesse's house, he looked at all of Jesse's sons, and none of them fit the bill. All of them. They came in. Now, now understand, they fit Samuel's bill. They were good-looking. They were tall. They were big. These were the Craig Thompsons of Jesse's children. See? You like that? But then it turned probably more like David was more like the Craig Thompson. <laughs> who's the red-looking guy who shows up and has nothing to offer? That sounds a little bit more like Craig. But, uh, uh, but that, that, that's what happened. In, in the midst of that, we've got uh, Jesse, uh, Samuel looking at all of Jesse's sons, and the Lord says, no, none of these are the one. Samuel says, oh, God, how could this not be? The Lord says very clearly to Samuel, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
Do you know that God can see the heart, the intention of a person, but do you know that you cannot know the heart of any person? You can't know the motives of a person. You can't judge the intentions of a person. We want to discern intentions. It makes the world a tidy place and helps us to separate the world into them and us. When I can, can, can assume upon your actions and assume what your actions mean for me, it helps me to be vindicated in my decisions. And so when you cut me off in traffic, I like to assume that you did that because you didn't like me, that you specifically pinpointed me and you cut me off. Maybe you cut me off because you don't like men with a beard. Maybe you just don't like men. Maybe you don't like brown trucks, or maybe my, my dog was in the back and you didn't like my dog. Boy, that would make me angry. If he didn't like my dog, that'd make me angry enough to run him off the road and tell him, that's my dog. But look, I can't judge a motive, can I? But don't we all do that? Somebody ignores us in a store and we go, well, I know why they did that. We stay angry at a person who didn't speak to us and we stay angry for six months. All because we assume that that person didn't speak to us because that person thought they were too good for us or because that person didn't like us. When the truth of the matter is that that person probably had tunnel vision. They're like some of you guys that walk into a store. You go into the grocery store. Your wife says get mayonnaise. They could be giving away free potato chips. They could be giving away free produce. They could be giving away free drinks, but you have tunnel vision and you're there to get mayonnaise and you come home and you've got mayonnaise. And your wife says, why didn't you get the free drinks? You go, I had no idea they had them. What free drink? I didn't see it. Folks, we, we've got to be careful that we don't try to discern the intentions of those people around us because we can't. I can look at you and I can see your facial expressions. I can listen to you and I can hear your words. I can watch you and I can see your actions, but I can never look into you and know why you did what you did. Now, folks, our political system right now, uh, really, and not the political system, I should just say the, the, the political engine, the machine of politics right now is thriving in many ways off of the belief that we can know why somebody did something, that we can assume that if they said that, then they must believe this. Or if they acted that way, then they must have done it because of these six reasons. And even though they said this is why they did it, we can look past what they said and we can know the real reason behind it. Folks, as the people of God, we got to be honest about the reality that I don't know why you did anything. And you don't know why I did anything. Why am I preaching from Hebrews today? Some of you are going, he's preaching because it's Father's Day and he's going to put it on dads. Well, the reality is that I'm preaching from Hebrews today, from Hebrews chapter 4, because we've been preaching through Hebrews for a number of weeks, and this is just the next passage that we found ourselves in. But some of you, potentially, probably none of y'all, because y'all are good people, will sit back and think, well, that's what he says, but it's real convenient that it all worked out for Father's Day, isn't it? Well, perhaps it is convenient because God had something to say to you. Perhaps there's nothing more there. But you know, the Word of God's different. The Word of God can discern intentions. Isn't it incredible how the Word of God works to reveal to me the logs in my own eyes when I read it openly and honestly? Isn't it incredible how the Word of God can reveal to me the things that I might not even have known were in there? Why? Because God sees past this. He sees into the heart of man and of woman, of boy and girl. And he knows the intentions 
of our hearts. The Word of God accomplishes those purposes. And so when we read there in Hebrews chapter 4, let us strive to enter the rest that none may fall by the same sword of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Folks, the Word of God knows you. God knows you and He uses His Word to chip away at all of the exterior and get all the way down to the intentions. God knows why you did what you did and why you do what you do and why you believe what you believe. God knows it. And the Word of God discerns it and the Word of God reveals it to us. Third this morning, the Word of God reveals the heart. Luke 6.45 says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. But Craig, you just said that we can't discern the intentions of a man. Right! We can't! I don't ever know why a person does what they do, but I don't have to know. This is why we preach Christ and Him crucified. See, it's not my job to know your, your intentions or your motives. I can trust the Lord to handle all that. But that doesn't mean that the Word of God doesn't give us a measure by which we can help others to know the place of their hearts. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and disarming the thoughts of... Oh, <laughs> discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's a typo, but it's a, it's a good typo because it also disarms the intentions of the heart, doesn't it? Doesn't the Word of God disarm us? Doesn't it remove our defenses? Doesn't it break us down to the most basic structures? The Word of God, I can't do that. Craig Thompson can't accomplish that. And you can't do that, but God's Word does. And God's Word stands as a test against our worldliness. God's Word reveals our heart. I can't know your heart, but I can put the Word of God before you as a measuring stick and allow it to measure you. I've got to do some roof repairs at my house. I've got to have a tall ladder. And so I wasn't sure how tall the ladder was I needed to be. And so what I did is I took a tape measure and I put it up there. And you know what I discovered? I discovered exactly how tall it needed to be. This thing never changes unless somebody breaks it. What this thing says is what it's, today is what it's going to say tomorrow. The Word of God stands as a measure for us to measure our hearts. We can first run to passages like Romans 10, 9. that says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I can ask first, have you cried out to God for salvation? Do you belong to Jesus? Where's your heart? The first question we need to ask is, have you cried out to God for salvation? Because the Word of God is the measure that never changes. It's never adjusted. There is only one way. That a man or a woman, a child may be saved. And that is by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, but Craig, how can I have assurance of my salvation? And folks, I want you to know, I get that question asked to me over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. And, and, and one of the answers for how it is that we can have assurance of our salvation is not real comfortable. And it's not one that lots of people like, but the reality is that we need to run to the Word and see whether or not our lives match up against what the Word of God says that a Christian's life should be. So I can run to places like Galatians chapter 5, where we see the two lists given as fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, and I can ask 
Which of these represents your life? See, I don't get to judge your motives, but the Word of God can reveal your heart. Are you loving? Are you joyful? Are you patient and peaceful? Are you kind and faithful? Are you gentle and self-controlled? These are the kinds of things that the Word of God says are descriptive of Christians. Side note here, when I ask you if you are these things, rather than tell me yourself, one of the things you need to do is ask the people who are closest to you whether or not those are real characteristics of your life. You see, I'm always the hero in my stories. You understand? I'm always the hero. I need to run to others who know me and say, is this a fair representation of my life? The Word of God judges me. Likewise, there's a different list for the fruit of the flesh. Are you sexually immoral? Are you impure or sensual? Are you idolatrous, angry, jealous, or a drunkard? Are you just divisive or impure? These are characteristics of non-believers, not of believers. So I don't get to judge your motives. The Word of God does that. But the Word of God also presents a standard against which your heart is judged and revealed. The Word makes it possible for others to hold me accountable and to help me to discern my own heart. You see, I need you all in my life, and you need others in your life to compare your life against the measurement of God's Word. Because I don't see my blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots. Back in December, we went and did a scripture, or excuse me, a, a gift distribution at Lee Correctional. A group of men went down there and uh, on the way back, I don't remember who I was riding with. I knew Buster was in the truck with me. I was driving. We were coming up I-20, and I started to get over. And as I did, he screamed at me. And Buster doesn't scream too much, so when he screams, I try to pay attention. There was a, there was a vehicle right in my blind spot, and I, I nearly came right over on top of it. Had he not been in the vehicle with me, I would have run that vehicle off the road, or I would have ran into it. It would have caused a, a, a massive wreck right there on I-20. I needed somebody sitting beside me to see what I couldn't see. Folks, the Word of God gives us these lists by which our hearts can be judged. The question we need to wrestle with is whether or not I'm willing to allow others to help me apply those things in my life. Whether or not I'm willing to give others the opportunity to help me see the blind, so I see the log in my own eye before I wrestle with the speck in somebody else's. Side note here, folks, as we think about accountability, the best way to accomplish having accountability in your own life is not to wait for somebody else to notice your sin. The best way for you to accomplish that is for you to invite others into your life so that they don't have to feel that they're out of place. Are there people in your life that you've gone to and you've said, hey, if you see me in sin, I want you to call me on it. There have been a few times in, in, in our marital life where Angela and I have gone to friends that we've had collectively and said, we're going through this, this particular phase of our life. As we do, will you help to hold us accountable to make sure that we represent Christ well in this? Do you know what we had to do, though? We had to find people who would be honest with us, right? Listen, it's not real accountability if you only go to those people that you know will tell you what you want to hear. And we all have those people in our lives, don't we? They don't, they don't, they don't, they're not willing to be honest. So they always tell you how sweet you are and kind you are. Listen, if I want to get better as a preacher, there's not a whole lot of y'all I'll ask because most of y'all tell me what a wonderful sermon I preach every single Sunday. But I go home and know some Sundays it wasn't all that great. 
I got to have somebody to be honest. And the same thing comes true or holds true as we try to figure out how it is that we apply the Word of God and, and allow our hearts to be measured. We need others to help me to apply. Uh, apply the word so I can see my own blind spot. See, Jesus warned that not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven, but those who have done the will of the Father. What does that mean? Does that mean that we work our way to heaven? Absolutely not. That I've got to earn my salvation? Absolutely not. But it does mean this, that all who have called upon the name of the Lord and are saved bear a family resemblance. Something changes Five years ago, so I'm, I'm, it's Father's Day, and I know it's hot, so I'm getting toward the end, okay? It is, it is, it is nasty out here. But five years ago, we, we uh, Sloan and Brooklyn came to our lives, and, and we adopted them. And that's, so, so I got to, to, to be a, a dad, not just to two, but to four. Um, but what was so fun was to see how, over time, Sloan and Brooklyn began to just be top. They weren't just Thompson in name. Over time, we all started looking the same. That's one of the, fun, the, the most enjoyable things about the process of adoption is that you see the way that everything starts to look. You start telling the same jokes or getting the same inside jokes. You start dressing the same and thinking the same and talking the same. We hope that at some point we start eating the same. Some kids don't like broccoli, apparently. I don't know. But y'all, that's, that's the same thing that's true of us when we come to Christ. It's not this working that I do to earn God's love. The reality is that when he has saved me, when he's adopted me and brought me into his family, if I belong to him, I will begin to look like him. Period. Period. That's what happens. There's a family resemblance, and you can't deny it. So how do you stack up? Not against others, but against the Word of God. Oh, I look good against everybody else, but how do I look against God's Word? So you don't need to worry about how you stack up against me or even what my opinion of you is. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. The Word of God, it is a two-edged sword offering life to all who would come to Christ or destruction to all of God's enemies. As Americans, we don't like being told what to do, and we don't like change. We don't even change our standard of measurement. But God's standard is unchanging. Will you cling to your pride or submit to God's Word? See, when all is said and done, you may fool your wife or your husband. You may fool your neighbor or even yourself. But you will not fool the Lord. God's Word will judge you, and it never changes. Will you submit to God's Word today? Will you submit to God's Word, even the parts that you don't like? Will you submit to God's Word, even the parts you don't understand? Will you submit to God's Word, even the parts that are uncomfortable and hard? Will you trust that God's Word is right, even when it doesn't feel right? This week I had to um, mount something in, in my shop, no big deal. I had to put some anchors in the floor and... Um, I lined it all up, and I was fixing to start drilling holes to put these concrete anchors in. And I said, before I do it, it, it looked right, but I said, I, I better measure just to make sure. And, he, and, and, and I looked at it, and so I pulled the tape out, and according to the tape, it was off two inches. 
Y'all, for a brief second, I thought, well, that can't be right because it doesn't look like it's off two inches. What arrogance. And yet, how often do we run to God's Word? And God's Word says, you're off a couple of inches. You're off a couple of feet. You're off a couple of decisions. Craig, you're not submitting. You're not obeying. How often do we go, oh, that doesn't feel right. How arrogant. Folks, will you submit to God's Word? Dads, specifically this morning, it is Father's Day. Will you lead your children to submit to God's Word? Will you be the kind of father that looks at your children and teaches them about the value of God's Word? Will you be the kind of father that apologizes to your children when you sin against them and sin against God's Word? Will you be the kind of father that directs them to God's Word as the standard for why it is they should live their life in a particular way and not the fleeting whims of of your emotions? Folks, can we tie everything back to God's Word and trust that the Word of God is enough? It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Will you submit to God's Word today? Whatever God says to you. However it is that God may be working. Some of you perhaps need to submit to the Lord's Word and give your life to Jesus. Some of you have bought the lie perhaps that there are lots of ways to salvation. But today you need to submit to God's Word and submit to what God says. That there is only one way. And his name is Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd love to talk with you. If you're at home today and you'd like to make a commitment to follow the Lord Jesus, would you reach out to us through our website so that we can be in contact with you and begin that process, that journey of the Christian life with you, help you to follow Christ. God's Word is not always easy or fun, but it is always right, and we should always obey it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you be at work among us today, that your word that is living and active would work in us, through us. May we, like Augustine, Father, run to the word and be changed by it. I pray that you'd pierce our hearts and our souls. Lord, give us the necessary courage to follow you. The brokenness that we need in our lives to submit. In Jesus' name, amen.